Whether you're a crypto newbie, an established investor, or operating a business in Web3, tax season can be an absolute headache. But it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software platform founded in 2018 by brothers Shane and Tim Burnett, crypto fanatics who were fed up with the complexity of doing their taxes. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, CTC focuses on simplifying complex transactions, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as 1,000 other integrations. Sign up at realvision.com forward slash CTC and get an exclusive 30% discount with the code RV30 at checkout. What's really going on with the economy? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. So we have U.S. stocks under pressure this Monday. Treasury yields pushing higher after another stronger-than-expected data release, this time the services ISM. This comes on the heels, of course, of the robust jobs report on Friday and really has the market questioning the Fed's next move. There is a lot of confusion. So we decided to call in a favor and do something a little bit different today. I asked Julian Biddle to give us a debrief. You may see he's not here with us now because I had to chase him down on the other side of the world in time zone. Uh, so part of this is going to be taped. But for those of you who are not familiar, and I see you in the chat asking about him and stuff, but for those of you who are not familiar, uh, Julian is the head of macro research at Global Macro Investors, and he works hand in hand with Raoul, providing analysis and advice to and research to the biggest money managers in the world, basically. Um, and Julian's years of experience tracking the business cycle enabled him and Raoul to be one of the few that nailed the tech and crypto trade last year. Their calls were so contrary in this time last year. I don't know if you remember, um, but it ended up being absolutely spot on. Julian's also created a modeling tool called the Macro Investing Tool that's really designed to try to provide clarity for exists exactly this kind of really complicated macro environment. Again, I see in the chat that some of you have been playing around with that. So he just has an amazing handle on what's really going on and what's leading and not lagging. And it seemed like a really important time to try to pull him in to the daily briefing. So he was nice enough to say yes, but as I mentioned, we, I had to track him down in a different time zone. Um, so we had to pre-tape the conversation, but I think it's, it's really important and I think you're gonna find it really helpful. And it was worth doing it that way. Now the chat's gonna remain open throughout. So even though you can't, at, you can chat amongst yourselves, comment, ask questions, we're gonna track them. And even though you can't ask him questions live, he's gonna be holding monthly AMAs as part of the macro investing tool updates. So you can find out um, when that's gonna happen and more on information on the macro uh, investing tool, which is kind of like a modeling device for your portfolio. He's gonna explain some of it in our chat and you can find out all the information you need about all of that on the RV marketplace. One last note, um, when we had Jeff Snyder on last week, and again, we talked to him about the, the confusing what's leading, uh, a lot of you had questions about the best way to track Euro dollars. I followed up and I have some more information from him. Um, Ralph, if you're listening, I messaged you directly because you asked me again on the platform. If anyone else wants that information, there are a few of you who are asking, just message me directly on the platform and I'll share it with you. Okay, so now here's Julian Biddle. Enjoy. Hey, Julian. I'm so glad we're able to catch up with you. 
Yes, it's it's good to be here, Maggie. Yeah. Very good on to the, be here. First on one the daily briefing. I know we 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 can't, I can't believe it actually is. But listen, we we had to track you down because there's a lot of confusion about what's going on in the economy and markets. We saw that last week roll over the place, uh, and the payroll number threw even more uncertainty into the mix. And so we thought it'd be a really good time. To, to just check in with you, get your thoughts on what's going on and, you know, to sort of kick it off. Is it just us? I mean, why does it feel like it's such a difficult economic environment to figure out, even for professionals who've been doing it for a long time? Yeah, I mean, the first, so our take, you know, at GMI has been that this is really the tale of kind of two economies. Um, and to understand that, you, you have to have a view on liquidity um, and financial conditions. And so what 2023 was really all about is an environment where the economy was weak, right? So if we think about the ISM, for example, it was below 50 for, in fact, the longest period of time since the 1982 double-dip recession. So even longer, not in terms of, of depth, right? The ISM didn't fall to, you know, the low 40s. Um, but it, in terms of duration, it was a it was a very weak economy. But at the same time, financial conditions had been easing off of Q4 of 2022, and that created this environment where tech stocks, the Mag Seven, uh, you know, consumer discretionary, long duration, basically equity plays did really really well. But things like the Russell 2000 and everything else just kind of didn't move, right? Because IP was still weak, retail sales were still falling, all the old economy stuff hadn't yet picked up and we're now starting to see that and then on the you know on the employment front yeah the payrolls thing was was something right i mean a huge beat totally at odds with what we saw with the adp negative surprise challenger negative surprise uh claims continuing claims shot up and that too was a negative surprise and then when you look at the internals it's even more confusing because hours absolutely collapsed mm -hmm. uh full-time employment totally collapsed, right? So it's a part-time thing. But even there, we just kind of have to wait till Feb. And then on, on top of that, with the payrolls last year, you had a series of fairly large negative revisions. So it's not really, it's a difficult report to, to interpret now. We just got to wait for the revisions. But so no, you're, you know, you're not the only one. This isn't a confusing economy, but this year there should be less confusion because the economy in our view is actually starting to bottom which is super interesting because that's not definitely everyone's view, but you were contrarian last year and spot on, which is again, why we wanted to track you down. And I know that you um, recently launched um, a macro investing tool. It's on our marketplace to try to help sort of, I don't know if it's organized, but sort of get people the information, help people understand what they need to track what what's different, what's not, how to sort of put this all together, which is, I think, super important because we know people are struggling in this area. So uh, it's pretty new. Walk us through what you're doing with this and, and how this is hopefully going to give some clarity. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, this tool is something I used, I've used for many years. It's something I used both as an investment strategist before I joined Raul. Uh, and an investment manager. So I was managing a series of multi-asset funds at a fairly large European asset manager. Um, and, you know, and this framework has also been used many years before me by, you know, people, uh, things like Morgan Stanley, uh, you know, they kind of pioneered part of this framework. 
um, you know, large hedge funds, you know, Ray Dalio at Bridgewater, his all weather fund uh, is again, based on the notion that in macro terms, there are a lot of indicators. And this is what confuses a lot of people. You've got imports, you've got exports, you've got durable goods, you've got capital goods, you've got payrolls, you've got unemployment, you've got all these indicators. But from a very high level macro perspective, the two most important things to solve for are changes in growth and inflation, right? Um, and so that's how you come across this kind of quadrant-based framework whereby you rank um, where we are. So like, for example, within the MIT tool, spring is where we spent all of last year. So that's an environment where growth momentum is starting to improve, but inflation momentum is coming down. So it's essentially like a Goldilocks-like environment, right? And this is the preferred environment for equities, but equities that are, as I say, long, long duration assets like home builders, discretionary, which is why we saw, you know, a big move in home builders, uh, sorry, um, well, home builders, but also the NAHB index. So home builder confidence numbers uh, accelerate. Um, and then you have, if you switch to summer, that's just to go over it, rising growth, rising inflation, fall would be typical late cycle. So when growth momentum is slowing, but inflation momentum is still accelerating. Um, and that's a very difficult environment to navigate for most asset allocators uh, and investment strategists, because what's going on is your top line slowing, inflation still accelerating. So wages are accelerating, your top, uh, input costs are rising. So it's kind of a double whammy on margins, but it's also typically this period of time where all investment strategists are talking about this squeeze in margins, but equity prices rally and it just, you know, into a, a peak when we transition into winter, which is growth down, inflation down. Um, and so this is, this is the framework. It's trying to keep us on the straight and narrow when it comes to macro, right? It's a data dependent approach. And that's the thing is as investors, we all have, um, you know, biases around how we think about the world, what we think should happen in terms of macro. And a lot of people struggled with that last year. We're going into recession, we're going into recession. Oh, look at that data point, the headline numbers up. But if you dig into the components, two of the components were down. And that's, you know, it, and that's very difficult because, and, and that's why this framework is, is important because you can look at the charts, you can dissect the data, but at a very high level, it's, it's important to remain data dependent. And that's what this process is about is what is the, what is the model telling us? Um, you know, what's, and then in, in combination with the model, what are the charts telling us, you know, yada, 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 you can go down and down and down. And so the idea is, is just to reduce as much certainty, uncertainty as we can before making an investment decision. And so Raul and I used this last year. Uh, I mean, we've been using this framework for the last 18 months at Global Macro Investor, and it really helped us nail the low in Q4 of 2022 yeah. um, at a time when, you know, everyone was kind of still looking over way, other way. And so this is what it's all about, is just keeping us focused. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely true because, you know, I remember having some conversations with Raul and it was just so contrary to what everyone else was thinking. But really importantly, I think you brought up a, 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 such a such an important point in that we, we all get captive to the narrative, right? I hear, we see it every day. 
we get questions in the daily briefing every day from people and it's natural right you know human beings yeah. we we are attracted to stories and and there is a place for that right there's a place for that sort of secular story that Raul talks about if you think that you know there is going to be sort of an investment in some area and that you'll be able to ride that that is real but i think the important thing that you do with this work is try to get everyone on the idea that you need to have a framework that you're always testing things against. And if the framework is telling you a very different story, then you have to really pay attention to that and figure out is your, you know, are you just getting swept away by a narrative? And it's easy, right? We have been to it. We have read it discussion groups and stuff. The narrative it pull is really strong. So I think you have some slides. Show us what the, the, you know, the kinds of things you're looking at that help build this framework. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do that now. And it's true what you just said while I'm pulling this up. I mean, there is groupthink is a really powerful thing. There's a lot of comfort in, um, you know, working, um, and having the same view as other people. Right. And it's, it's, it's hard to stick your neck out and go rents against consensus. Um, so that's also part of it is, you know, it's, it's fine to have an investment approach. It's fine. Everyone has their own investment approach and that's great. But coming back to this on a monthly basis, I mean, essentially the product is just before we get into the slides is, you know, three weekly reports. So the first two weeks, which I'm, I'm currently working on one of them now with Rao will be put out this Thursday. Um, then the next week is just another thing. What we're looking at the kind of the top five charts on our radar at, 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 any, at any given time. And then the third week will be an update of the actual tool itself and a, and a longer written report. And then the fourth week will be me or Raul or both of us coming on to discuss a little bit more about the previous report. Um, and so this is what we're going to be going through today um, is actually the presentation that I shared last week, just to give people an idea of, of what they can expect from these kind of presentations. So um, I'm going to go ahead and skip down a little bit. Um, so just to start, this is exactly what I, Maggie, what I mentioned a second ago in terms of these regimes, these macro regimes. And, and they're very important to figure out and to stay on top of because the asset allocation um, splits are very, very different. Spring and summer aren't incredibly different. They're both risk on. I'll come on to that in a second. But once you get to fall and winter, uh, it, it changes quite dramatically. So the idea is, is that on a monthly basis, we monitor, um, you know, all of these countries. The countries are less important. What I pay the most attention to is, is the table at the bottom. Now, if we, um, and so this is updated on a monthly basis, and I talk through what's going on at a global level. And then if you look at this chart, this is, this is again, the, the bottom part of that table ranked into, put into a time series, is that if you um, look at the blue line in Q4, of 2022, that was a very extreme reading for winter. So growth and inflation around the world was very much the dominant theme. But lead indicators, which I'll come on into a second, had already started to move higher within our framework. So that was the signal across around an 80% threshold, um, and then coupled with a, a, a transition into a different season. So here we're looking at spring. We were looking at spring starting to accelerate in Q4 was the signal for us. Okay. Something is changing here underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And then we come on to our lead indicator. So our GMI financial conditions index, and this is advanced. And this is what I was talking about at the beginning, Maggie, is this environment where 
this is what's confusing people is the ism is still in contraction territory yeah. yes we did see ism new orders head back into 50 up above 50 uh this month but this is this is the confusion but um last year as i said to you this was a, a perfect macro spring profile so crypto did well as i said to you tech discretionary those long duration equity plays did really well semis were up 72 percent last year um and you know the s p 500 was up 24 percent. it's a great year you know if you were just a long only kind of guy and that's what you did that was a good year for you but not in comparison to having been long tech and especially crypto right solana was up 10x but then the shorts within this framework would all come on to later you know consumer staples energy utilities they all underperformed uh the s p 500 right mm -hmm. and so that's what this is about is identifying the things that historically outperform um on average during this kind of macro regime it's not always going to be right right but it's about getting it right um you know as much as we can uh right and it's also not a trading tool it's not going to be issuing trade alerts the other thing i just have to say before i move on is it's also not someone was saying to me i'm uh recently over the video update rough to comment okay looking forward to the trade ideas there aren't trade ideas per se within this product for that, you need to go to Macro Insiders, where Raul and I share our views on the actual positions, and then also like uh, you know GMI. But here, it's about helping you develop a process to identifying all those things. Yeah, so and, I, and and also to be fair, right? Everyone, when it comes to that sort of granular trade idea, you have to understand your own risk profile and all the kinds of totally. things that, as an individual, only you can know, right? So totally. that's why we don't often do that. Um, and we're careful about specific trade ideas, but that's not the point. I think I just want to underscore if I'm hearing you correctly, and this is what we get a lot of questions about, uh, is the asset allocation. So if you understand where you are, it gives you a leg up in trying to figure out what your portfolio should look like, or if you need to make changes to your 401 broadly, right? You've got, yes. you've got to sort of drill down as an individual based on your age and risk and when you need the money and all that kind of good stuff. But that that asset allocation part is always what people ask us about. And it sounds like this is a, a sort of framework for you. To, if you understand the season we're in, which I like for, for, for people like me, I, that makes some sense to me, then you're going to be able to say, okay, wait, do I, let me look at my portfolio. Am I allocated properly for that time? Is that yeah, correct? and that is that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, because like we were talking about at the beginning, there's a lot of economic data out there, right? This boils it down to two of the most important ones, and we look at that. Then, you know, if within a season, which I'll come on to at the end, we have the tables of what historically outperforms and underperforms during each of these seasons. It already drills it down to you. Otherwise, you're going to get lost. I mean, do I want allocation to consumer staples? Do I want to be allocated to discretionary? Do I want to have materials at this stage in the cycle? Should I be buying commodities? Should I be looking at them? And then say we're in summer where commodities start to do well or small cap value starts to do well. Then say you pull up a chart and you see it breaking out or momentum starting to accelerate. You know, it's like, it's that, right? You have to, you drill it down and you build your own process. But most importantly, this will identify for you where we think we are in the business cycle and keep us data dependent. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
and it will enable people to ask smart questions. If you're starting out and you have no idea where you should be allocated, then you're not going to be able to ask then specifically, say to your advisor or to someone else, I'm looking at small caps, then what about this versus this versus this? Like it's a much more pointed question that's going to get you further in building a, a profitable portfolio, I would think. I mean, that's where I think we're struggling when we look at it. We don't even know where we are because it's so confusing. Jay Powell's out this morning saying the Fed doesn't know where they are. So how can we ask <laughs> questions? So it's it really is that. So that that's the aim of all of this. Okay. And and so as I said before, if you look at at this slide now, you can see that, you know, in 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 2023, and actually this goes back to your question of confusion so far in January, which I'll circle back to, but in 2023, so the green bars, you can see that the, the market profile was very much pricing in line with macro spring. Now check out this year, right? There is no dominant theme. And I talked about this in my presentation, and this isn't unusual for January, especially during presidential election years, but the market's totally split. The market has no idea really where it is within, within, these, within these regimes. Yeah. And like I said, come February, I think we'll have more direction here, but within the data, Right, if we come back to this, here, here, this is where we are today. So today we are still in macro spring. We spent the bulk of last year in macro spring. And you can see where we've come from, right? January of 2022, that was late cycle, right? We transitioned into winter and spent some time there uh, throughout 2022. And then, you know, in Q4 of 2022, when we kind of transitioned and said that macro spring was on the cards, then you transition. And this is the point is you just follow these charts in line with a much larger macro framework, which Raul and I have, because the important bit is, is when I showed you that peak in winter, which was like approximately 80% of countries trading within that quadrant, you can't really assess a peak until one to two months after the fact, right? Is it a peak? Is it not a peak? What is it? So it's really important to use lead indicators in combination with that framework. And that's what we do. So this is kind of the, the model output. Then, you know, I'll talk through, again, this is what I presented uh, yeah, what was it, two weeks ago now. Then we'll talk through growth, what's going on there. I'm just going to flip through these slides to give you guys an idea. Um, you know, we had the, we, you know, South Korean exports have really picked up, right? The global PMI also picked up to 50 uh, in Jan, right? Then we'll go through inflation, kind of the core charts we're looking at there. Everyone's talking about wage pressures accelerating. Uh, they're not, and and they won't, you know, based on, on our lead indicators. And then here's, Maggie, this is that point that you talked about originally. This is the confusing bit. This is our business cycle dominoes chart. And this shows you, so the ISM is at T equals zero. The lead indicators that Raul and I focus on are on the right. And everything else behind there is lagging. And for example, the Fed tends to operate on CPI and employment data, of course, because that's their mandate, right? But Raul and I are focused on our on the lead indicators, right? So ISM new orders to inventories, our GMI financial conditions index. So this is what I'm talking about as far as the economy, the tale of two economies. The economy is still quite weak today, but lead indicators are improving and it's market's job, so risk assets, to price in the future, bar anything systemic, entrenched, exogenous shocks. And that's very difficult for the market to price in, but that was never our base case, right? So anyway, this this is the way. This is what's this is the confusion I think for a lot of people, and then yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then we might like come into a theme that we're looking at. So a lot of people are talking about very bearish here. Here again, Maggie, this is this is again the chart 
uh, in, in, in chart form what we were just talking about. So regional Fed CapEx intentions, everybody's very bearish on CapEx. No one wants to do anything, but lead indicators are higher. So this is the, a, a theme that Raul and I are talking about now is that we think this is going to be a good year for CapEx and CapEx related equity plays because everyone under ordered in Q4, Q1, Q2 of this year, demand level should be above their kind of baseline expectation. So we'll need to reorder and play catch up. So a good CapEx year is good for traditional cyclical plays that didn't do well last year. Things like industrials, things like financials, you know, that should do well for small caps, let's say commodities, all that stuff should start to improve uh, this year. And then you look at this chart and you're like, whoa, right? So again, this is six months versus current ISM. Very much in line with what I just said, the tale of two economies. The current economy is still weak. Lead indicators have been picking up for the last 12 months. Um, and then I'll talk about things like what's priced into the market, right? Oh, so, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is, and this is the point is, so the NASDAQ uh, priced in an ISM of 37.7 in Q4 of last year. So that was like, I'm uh, sorry, uh, it, uh, in, 20, in Q4 2022. So that had firmly priced in a recession. The same time leads are picking up. At the same time, the the the, the quant framework is saying uh, this is extreme, right? It was kind of all coming together. And that's what I said at the beginning as well, is we want to reduce as much uncertainty as we can before making an investment decision. And this process really helps with that. But then, so technology is priced in a, uh, you know, a sharp acceleration in ISM, but then look at like things like small caps. And if I was to take a basket of financials, or even look at banks, uh, if you look at uh, materials, energy stocks, the point here is that these things have priced in the current economy, but nothing forward looking, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, and so this is the opportunity I think for this year. And then, you know, I'll, I, I occasionally run through the five pillars. This is something everyone has their own, well, investment process, but everyone also has a, the kind of the lens by which they view their investment, the investment world, right? And for me, I've always looked at that through macro valuation, sentiment and positioning, uh, earnings, and then liquidity. So then I'll go through something like that. So, you know, here we're looking at macro, uh, you know, still weak, but across below 10% on the lower band here of this boundary tends to be a good buy a strategic long opportunity for equity. So this is something we were looking at uh, last year and still quite muted, right? And this is why I think growth can continue to pick up without causing inflation like people are scared of because growth is still weak, right? And growth drives inflation, not the other way around, right? Um, and then valuations. So we'll talk about valuations, as I say, earnings, um, just showing through a couple of charts and then I want to get to the, the, the tables, um, uh, position or sentiment positioning. So people are still net short. In fact, this is, as I say, this is my presentation from, you know, two weeks ago or so now. So, uh, so positioning is actually, uh, even more short than it is here. Things like liquidity, right? So that's, those are the kind of the pillars and we'll revisit these every month to see where are we, what does it mean? And, you know, I'll do my best to um, you know, as I say, keep us on the straight and narrow. That's so interesting, um, Julian. Let me interrupt you for one second before you move on. So it's so interesting you're saying that, it, okay, this was two weeks ago, maybe, I think you just said they're even more net short. So yeah. net short equities, U.S. equities? Yeah, net short U.S. equities, that's So right. people would maybe find that surprising because we have the S&P 500 at, at, at new records. It seems yeah. like everybody's bullish. Yeah, so what happened, interestingly, is I mean, this net short position, as you can see, kind of in Q3 went, I mean, it was over the summer months, got really, really extreme on the downside. 
Um, then over the summer, like late summer, we had that kind of rollover in equities until Q4, and then it went totally bananas. Mm-hmm. And people started to cover their shorts as equities came lower. And then in Jan, they started going back to net short. So um, interesting. And and but for to me, Maggie, this is just fuel for the fire, yeah. right? Equities can pull back; they're a little bit overbought. Sentiment, so this is AAII bulls versus bears, is a little bit extreme. Um, and then the other thing, I don't have this chart here, but I did include it in the presentation. When you look at the percentage of stocks trading above the 50-day moving average, it hit; it went from like you know 10% to 90% in Q4. So everybody's talking about, you may have heard this uh, speaking with somebody on the daily briefing, or as you say, on TikTok, Twitter, whatever the things we all follow. So people are like, there's no participation in the stock market. It's just being driven by MAG7 or whatever. And that was true up until Q4. And that was being driven by, of course, it's a market macro spring profile. But in Q4, there are no more bad breath issues with the market. You know, once you get to like 90% of stocks within the S&P 500 trading above the 50-day moving average, that tells you that participation is there. And that's my expectation for this year is that participation will broaden. So while last year was about tech and discretionary and, and home builders and crypto, those things can still do well. But like I showed you on that small cap chart, it's the same for banks, the same for many sectors of the economy. They're still not pricing in anything forward looking. So I think there's this opportunity for catch up, right? So broader participation. And then we get to these. So the MIT summary tables. Um, and sorry, I skipped through one. So here you go. You know, here is spring, summer, fall, and winter. This is a 60 year, 50 to 60 year regression framework looking at asset class behavior, um, sector uh, behavior, commodity. I'll go through, I've got all of them on this list here um, during different periods of the economic cycle. Right. So, what just at a very high level, what this will tell you is that during macro spring, you want to be long things like equities and credit. Right. If we look at that kind of first tab, mm-hmm. if we scroll down, then let's say, for example, the sectors, just look at the green arrows. What does it say to be long? Consumer discretionary, tech, semiconductors, and home builders. Mm-hmm. Those were all the assets that did well last year. Right. And far up the supply chain, you know, you, you start to see some inflationary pressures building. We think that inflation's not an issue for now, and we don't think that it will be uh, soon. But we think that the market will start to front run the transition into summer this year. So then you look at it and you're saying, okay, well, I need to scan these tables. What should do well? Well, equities, then commodities, and you can scan it. So the point here is that if the arrow is green, it means that that asset class, that sector, I'm going to go down here, we're at bonds, Forex, that uh, bond, that commodity tends to do well, or that the performance is statistically significant, right? On a if it's green, it means it's positively statistically significant. If it's red, it's it's a negatively statistically significant, meaning that it underperforms. And yellow means it's not really, there isn't much of a of an outperformance or underperformance. It's just kind of sideways. So I'll just skip down one more time. So to crypto and uh and styles. So Again, it's it's just about looking at this, and this is updated uh, every couple of months. As I say, it doesn't make sense to update it that often because I've done the it's sixty years of regression framework, bar crypto. Right, crypto we have less data, but I've mm-hmm. basically within every single asset here, I've looked back as far as I can, mm-hmm. uh, data wise, and so that's what this approach is about. Is it's 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 the the tool, 
right? Updated on a monthly basis. Where are we? What are lead indicators saying? Is one season extreme or not? How long can we remain within this season? What are the things that should outperform? What is the market pricing? Um, and then coupled with some charts, some, a theme that I, we might be looking at. Um, and that's, like I said, it's just, it's really just a, a framework um, for understanding. And it really helped Raul and I last year. Yeah, and so, so helpful. This is actually the first time I'm seeing it. Um, and this is tremendous. This is the thing I always want to want to get my hands on is this, uh, the sectors and how things still went. Uh, perform when they're in there. So let me ask you something now as as we think about this and how this works in conjunction with everything else. So um, based on, um, and and of course, uh, you update them regularly so that there's a little lag in what we just showed. Um, so maybe not absolutely on the forward leaning foot of what you're thinking, but it, you're kind of s explaining how maybe um, industrials and small caps and, and the broadening out um, all of those sectors haven't really priced in what's coming. They're not looking at the leading indicator. They're a little bit either in the now or backward looking. Um, and it looked like financials were in there. So one of yes. the issues that came up last week is a lot of concern about the banking sector, regional banks in the U.S. We saw New York Community Bank, but that wasn't the only one. There was a Japanese name. We saw some uh, commercial real estate issues at Deutsche AG, just you know having to adjust for losses they expect. And and it just feels like people are nervous again about about regional banks. So there was there was some noise on Twitter about that today as well. Um, how do you how do you use the framework and then a sort of more current event or worry that comes up? Like how do you look at something like that and plug yeah, so that, that into the framework here? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like how does totally, that totally? So for me, it would be uh, the way this worked. Uh, for, if I think back, and I'll come to banks in a second in. Uh, what was it in Q1? Oh, right. We had FTX, right? The FTX blow up in Q1 of last year. And what I had written at the in the time at the time in, in Global Macro Investor is, and in using a very similar process to this, is the market started to price in macro winter, right? And it was very clear that the market, but if we are convinced that we're transitioning into macro spring, and that's the dominant season within the data, this is typically the environment and the opportunity to where you want to add to those positions, mm. right? Now that that requires, so for example, with banks right now, people have been worried about banks all of all of last year. And yeah, if you sort think of about since it, SVB, right? Since Silicon Valley, although we'd be really worried about it and then it would kind of go away, right? Yeah. That set up the facility and then it kind of went away, but it's always right. in the backdrop. And now you have one name that responds er, and, and drops. And now every day someone's talking to me about it. Yeah, and if I mean, if you look at that, I mean, we I I again had a lot of calls with clients last year around banks, 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 and that was the major concern. But if you think about it, from the FTX low, banks were at fifty percent on the year. It's not quite so. Again, if you look at KRE, right? So you take it from the low, uh, fifty. They close the year up fifty percent. Now they're coming a bit lower, right? But that's very normal, as I say in January. The way that I use January is. January is a difficult period to trade because the market can't quite, it's got new data. We're getting January data. We came in with six rate cuts in price and it's, it, the market's a little bit confused. So I always use Jan January kind of on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, you, if you're not currently invested, what I would say is, you know, January's coming, I mean, January's over now, right? But February, so we're in this new month now. We've been through January. We have some visibility now on what's going on with the Jan data via the ISM report, Right, some of the employment data. We've heard the Fed speak, right? And basically what the Fed said was, look, inflate, I mean, data is already good enough to cut. 
right? But what we want to see is a little bit more on the inflation front. But if you think about core PCE on a six month annualized basis at 1.9%, like that's a great print considering six months ago, we were annualizing at 4.5%. We've made significant headwind, uh, headway on the inflation front. And then the employment stuff, the payroll stuff is throwing people off. But again, we just kind of have to be patient there and see what uh, kind of um, Feb brings us in terms of revision. Everything else that we're looking at, if you look at NFIB hiring plans, they came lower, still suggesting there's small upside risks to unemployment. So I think no matter how you look at it, whether it's, you know, whether it's financials, whether it's industrials, whether it's, you know, small caps like the Russell 2000 as an overall index, you know, I think that these things are up because the way I view thing is no matter what happens right now, um, all roads lead, all roads lead to more cowbell. Uh, and more cowbell meaning more liquidity because that that's it's a presidential election year. Um, it's the Bitcoin having. There's a lot of positive catalysts here. Um, and so what I would just just circling back on your banks comment, you know, what I would typically do in this environment is and banks aren't along in macro spring. Okay, they become along in macro summer, as you say. So more forward looking. That's where I think we're transitioning. It's a little bit early, but the market will front run that. So you need to keep an eye on these charts now because. Currently, banks, as you say, have come a bit lower, right? At any point, they become oversold and we transition into this macro summer thing, which I think is going to happen soon. Um, you know, it's the opportunity to add to these things. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I would say. Yeah, and important, you know, it's important to know that because if you look across the markets now, and we may be different, we're going to air this a little bit later because of the time difference we're recording it. But, um, you know, you've got the Russell down 2%, right? So that it's very much sort of, looking at the moment and responding to the, you know, things that are coming out from the Fed and, but markets always look ahead. So you want to be paying attention so that yeah. you're able to move and you don't have to be the first one, right? You don't have to be here and be the first one, but you want to be, have an idea where we may be going and watch the charts, as you say, so you can so maybe That's take fine. the opportunity and get that nice move if that is something that you agree with. So that makes a lot of sense on the bank. So, um, in terms of inflation, just roughly what you're looking at now, we hear a lot of people think that we're in the 1970s and that you will see inflation come back. And you know, you know, that means a 10-year could go back to 5%. We know people are split on this, but there are plenty of people who still have that as a narrative they're looking for. It sounds like you don't see that happening based on what you're looking at in your models. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the models, right? I mean, GMI, I mean, what comes into this GMI, process? by the way, is the, is the institutional oh. um, research business um, that Raul and Julian provide for their basically professional clients. Yeah, and, and so what, thanks, Maggie. And so the, we're, bringing, we're bringing a portion of that to Real Vision with this MIT tool. And what I'll say is, um, you know, in relation to inflation, the work that we've done is you and you'll see that you've seen that chart right the three waves of inflation during the 1970s that basically everyone's shown now um it, we have a different view we think that this looks a lot covid i mean which was the which was basically what generated this inflation looks a lot so the the current bout of inflation looks a lot more similar to kind of the mid 1940s where post world war ii you had a big supply and demand shock that sent inflation sharply higher, okay? Then in 1947, it peaked. And kind of two years later, by like 1949, it went negative. And, and, then, it, and then it went higher again. So Raul and I have the expectation that inflation will come back 
late in 2024, 2025. But again, this model will keep us honest. That's the point. We have these expectations. We have these biases built into our heads, but this data dependent, being data dependent is the most important thing. But in any sense on this, this 1945 thing, it's really interesting because demographics is a major driver of inflation. So in the, during the 1940s, everybody came home from the war. And what did they want to do at that point? Well, they wanted to, you know, buy a house, all of that, but they also wanted to make love, not war, hence the baby boomers. So you had a big surge of people coming into this world. And by the time the 1970s hit, all of these kids were coming into their prime consumption age. And that's what generated this 70s inflation style. We don't have that today. Demographics are in decline. Right. And that's just, like I say, that's not the only driver, right? I mean, supply chain pressures are off. I mean, last inflation cycle was a result of supply chain pressures um, and, and, and stimulus. Okay. Um, but both of those so supply chain pressures came sharply lower. Stimulus is starting to pick up. That was the point is financial conditions have eased. If you look at G5 liquidity impulse, that's up a little bit, but that works with such a lead. It takes so long for that data to filter through to the real economy. So in any case, um, you know, our, our view is that this is not the 1970s for the structural demographic reasons, but also within the charts that we look at, we still think if you look at, did you see trueflation data today? No. It's at 1.4%. Okay. So our bait, we were, I mean, I think we were the only people calling for inflation or headline CPI to, to, to come to below 2%. And the important, the important point here, again, Maggie, just with these GMI, these business cycle dominoes is that you know if you people so you have energy which is like seven percent of cpi and you have food which is like 13 percent, but then 80 percent of cpi is core and within that the biggest component is shelter and shelter if you remember back to that gmi business cycle dominoes chart shelters all the way to the back and yeah it's lag, the lag, lag, right? lag 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 so people are still talking about wages and wages will stay above six percent and shelter is still too high but the point is is it that's going to now work through. And my expectation is, is that's going to keep core lower for basically all of this year. And that's going to keep the Fed in, you know, happy land because core will, because they're not focused on commodity prices. They're not focused on the ISM. People keep, you know, we'll, we'll post a, a tweet, uh, a tweet about uh, the ISM new orders back above 50 and say, oh, Jay Poe, ow, what's going on? What are you going to do? They're not focused on that stuff. <laughs> they, they focused on it. They're so far behind the the ISM focused on lagging economic data. It's just not a problem. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's what I would and we, say. And we also. see, by the way, we do see every day, you know, we know that wage inflation is the stickiest, the one they worry about. Every day we're seeing headlines on layoffs. Snap today laying off 10% of its global workforce. I mean, companies are so quick to just cut, uh, especially if it means, you know, making their shareholders happy. We sort of, I think, instinctively know that. Um, so one, one more question I want to ask you before we go um, is there, it, for the people who don't think it's 1970s inflation, the other thing is we're headed to a recession. Recession's coming. And talk about bias. We tend to think if there's a recession, it's going to be horrible because we all live through the great financial crisis. And there's just a sense that recessions are so painful. I think we fear that more than anything. Do you see a recession? Were we already in recession? Yeah. So my, I mean, the view that I have is, I mean, the indicators, as you say, were split last year. There was a lot of data, yield curve being inverted. But if you look at the conference board leading economic index, that was at 100% recession territory 
going back to the 1960s. You know, and across the sentiment spectrum, conference board, I mean, sorry, CEO, confidence, manufacturing sentiment. So if you look at Philly Fed, Chicago Fed, and you open up that chart and you go back to 1950, most indicators were at 100% recession territory, right? I mean, it was it was really incredible. But the market, what, the point here is that while some of these indicators still suggest that recession might be coming, the market, our view had always been that it just didn't matter anymore because the market had priced that in in Q4 of last year. And the other important point here, Maggie, is that you know, with what the Fed said recently, and more importantly, with the state of the world economy in terms of demographics, debt, uh, basically GDP being in constant decline, is that central banks around the world know that they can't let this economy repeat GFC again. It's a Fed put. Because at the current state of, let's say, baby boomer savings, um, and like I say, the bigger demographic picture, if they were to let stocks fall 50%, it would be, it would not, it would be generational pain because it would mean that not only do the baby boomers have nothing, right? Uh, but their children wouldn't inherit anything either. Um, and and as you know, I mean, my generation, you know, we have student debt. Right, mm -hmm. we've got uh, a lot of bills. Things have become expensive. Real wages are are negative. Um, so it's that's the that's where I think is 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 key here is we're in in a phase where central banks aren't stupid, and if you overlay the labor force participation rate versus the central bank balance sheet and or uh, government debt to GDP, it's the same thing. So the worst things. My point here is that the worst things get given the environment that we're in, and given what. Uh, Raul and I released last year on Real Vision, we released one of our um, articles called The Everything Code. If you haven't read that, please go back and do read that uh, because we're we're in a world now where central banks, I think it was like 2016 when Yellen said, we'll never see another recession in our lifetime. At the time I was managing my multi-asset fund and uh, I, my, my, me, me and my whole team, we were laughing about that, like literally kicking and laughing. But then COVID came and the world came to a complete halt. The economic data collapsed. We went to a recession and the Fed that very moment said, okay, it, it's time to inject liquidity. And they did. And that turned the economy around on the dime. So the point here is that if there is, even if there is a recession, the Fed knows what they can do. And they're not the only one, right? They're all working together. And in fact, you know, so that's, that's the point is that people are very scarred from 2008. Um, but I just don't see I don't see that as a possibility this time around. Also, households have deleveraged. There's a, it's a very different world than it was back then. It is, and and you know, it's such a it's such a great point. And by the way, it is a super important report. And it's it's sort of like the uh, you know like the matrix. You really see what's going on. So sometimes it's hard to keep that in mind because you're like, wait, it's a different. And it's dangerous to say things are different this time. But for those of us who went through that and lived through it they created tools that didn't exist before or that they'd never used, but they know they're there now. And so in that respect, things are very different. Does it mean that there can't be an unintended mistake or something will go, but the plan is to not go through that again. And COVID was the biggest test they've had since then. And you're right, Julian, they they pulled it out and, and they will again. I mean, there are other problems that you and Raul talk about longer term that that will create, um, but yes. for now, for now, that that's the situation, which again makes it really hard to kind of go by the old models and just look at things through some of the lenses we did before, because things are a little bit different. 
Um, Julian, fantastic stuff. I'm so glad that we tracked you down. You're a hard man to get, uh, but now I know why, because you're busy doing all this stuff. So we really appreciate it. I think this is going to be so helpful. And certainly for me, it helped clarify, I think, why people are so confused. And it's okay, right? It's okay to wait at the beginning of the year. It's not our imagination. But then after that, we always say, like, we need to have a framework to look at things through, um, to try to sort through and make sense and figure out what's on the leading edge of what we need to pay attention to. And I think that's where a lot, you're right, a lot of the confusion comes from. So this is going to be so, so helpful. I'm, I'm pumped about it. And, and I think I just on the last point on that, you know, if, if there are, if you guys haven't yet watched the video that I did on Real Vision Academy about this, so something that Raul and I did in New York last year, that really goes into a lot more detail. I'm pointing as if you guys can see my third yeah. screen here. Uh, that, that really in goes our mind, into more, we can. Yeah. Uh, goes into more detail around everything, you know, I've covered today. And so, yeah. you know, what this is understanding the business cycle, right? This is exactly. Yeah. So that's and, very helpful if you haven't seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Julian, I'm going to, I'm going to rope you and make you promise to come back on again, the daily briefing and give us an update as we sort of make our way through the next few months. Um, and let us know what, what some of your charts are telling you. A hundred percent, Maggie, anytime. Appreciate it so much. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, Maggie. Bye. Whether you're a crypto newbie, an established investor, or operating a business in Web3, tax season can be an absolute headache, but it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software platform founded in 2018 by brothers Shane and Tim Burnett, crypto fanatics who were fed up with the complexity of doing their taxes. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, Crypto Tax Calculator focuses on simplifying complex transactions, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as 1,000 other integrations. It's as simple as connecting your wallet, pulling in all your transactions, and following the automated suggestions to quickly and accurately calculate your tax obligations. Finally, 2024 is a year when crypto investors can do their taxes with speed and confidence. Make taxes this year easy and affordable with Crypto Tax Calculator. Sign up at realvision.com forward slash CTC and get a 30% discount with the code RV30 at checkout.